Hey, welcome to New Life if you're a guest. Just want to say, please do not be scared, all right? Um, everything gets better from here. Uh, just joking, though. Although I have heard a bit of a rumor that there are some people that are freaked out by our new sermon bumper. And uh, because of that, they aren't coming in until this very moment. So I do want to welcome you who are just walking in now. Thank you guys for being here at New Life. Uh, I also heard from the video team that possibly, possibly they are doing something unique on the last week of this series, which is the last Sunday of November, just to catch you off guard with that sermon bumper. I have no idea what they're going to do. So I'm just warning you, all right? The last Sunday of November, please put your children in children's ministry. I have no idea what's going to happen, all right? All right. Uh, with that, that's my disclaimers. Hey, today is a very unique day. Today's Veterans Day, and it actually falls on Sunday. Um, it doesn't always fall on Sunday. I don't think it falls on Sunday again for another seven or nine years from now. And so today we get a unique opportunity to honor our, our veterans that are here. I grew up in a home where my grandfather served in World War II, 101st Airborne. He jumped on uh, D-Day behind enemy lines. Uh, loved growing up, hearing his stories, and just knowing him. Uh, great influence on my life. My father served in the Vietnam War, uh, was in the Air Force. <clears throat> Uh, my son has both served uh, tours in Afghanistan, full tour there, and another full tour in Iraq with the 101st Airborne as a medic. I, I've just kind of grown up around uh, vets and those men and women who have decided that they're going to serve our country um, and serve you, uh, our population, our citizens, by giving of themselves, knowing that they could be put in, in harm's way and even lose their own life, and they've done it selflessly. And one thing I know about vets today is this. Right now, they're going, please don't make me stand. That's one thing I know about them. They're ferocious. They're vicious. They can conquer any enemy that gets thrown their way, but they, they, aren't, they didn't really do it to get honor. Um, However, vets, let me speak to you just for a second, okay? As one who served for, you know, a number of years, um, seven years, actually seven plus years in the Air Force, um, I just want you to know something. Today we are going to honor you, um, and I know that it may not be something that you wanted and you didn't ask for it, and when this day comes around, you know, you, you, you aren't, you're not asked, demanding us to do this, but we need to do it as citizens we need to do it. We need to honor those who have risked their lives so that we can be in a moment like this right now, freely worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in public in a church like this. And that's just one of our many freedoms that you have sacrificially helped us to maintain and to preserve here in our great country. And so we want to take just a moment and we want to thank you both here in Kearney and at our North Platte campus as well. Uh, would you, if you are a, a vet uh, and you served in any capacity at all in one of our branches of service, would you just stand for a moment so that we could do what we need to do, which is to honor you? Would you guys just stand, guys and gals, just stand and stay standing for us? Come on. Come on. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you, thank you. Wow, awesome, awesome. Man, we, we love you guys and gals, we love you. And uh, all of you that stood in North Platte, and if you're watching, watching us from your living room right now, um, and you're, you're a vet, and you stood up in your robe and your slippers, <laughs> we love you, we love you. Come hang out with us sometime. Uh, one thing that all veterans know though, all right, one thing that we all know is this. There's only one way to do something, right? 
right? It's the government way. So that's one thing that we know, all right? If you serve in the military, there's only one way to do it. And that's the way that Uncle Sam says to do it. But in the world that we live in, you know, this, this like civilian world, it doesn't function that way. Like business as an example, business owners, managers, supervisors, like they want people underneath them to be creative and to think outside the box and come up with new ideas to make the company, you know, more money or, you know, make, the, make it more profitable or make its product, you know, more impactful. Um, parenting. Parenting is, is another one where there's radical differences. Like everybody seems to have a different way uh, and different standards and different methods. And I get it. Like it needs to be biblical, but there's so many different approaches that you can have. And kids are so radically different that we live in a world with such variety, such variety. I mean, how many of you guys have shopped online in the past 30 days? Come on, let me see your hand proudly. Put it up there. All right, husbands, this is not a moment to judge. Or, or wives, all right? Like, what did you buy again? Like, do I need to look at the credit card? This is not one of those moments. This is just, this was healthy for the soul. It's confession, all right? Just confession. I shopped online. Okay. No, but you shop online because why? There's variety. I mean, everything. I don't care what it is. A coffee maker. You got like 50 different colors, 30 different models, you know, of the one brand. You know, it's like the X model or the A model or this model or that. You can do anything. You can travel abroad, find something that's just so radically cool they don't even sell in the United States, and you can buy it possibly with Amazon Prime, and it shows up in two days, people. What? It's crazy. It's crazy. Such variety, so many options, and it just all leads to this, like, individualism of self-expression, right? I love it, man. Like, you know, people often will ask me, like, man, where'd you get that shirt? I go, talk to my wife. I don't know. Right? Like, I, I don't shop. Where'd you get those jeans? I got no idea. I got no idea. So such expression with clothes and cars that we drive and, you know, the way that we carry ourselves, the way we decorate our houses, and there's just so much stuff that you can get your hands on. It's awesome. And then there's nothing, I'm not even bashing that. That's incredible, right? But however, the mindset behind it all, the mindset behind it, has kind of warped our thinking when it comes to how we approach God. Because there are so many options, because we can do things so quickly, there's this tendency for us to start believing a lie that there's possibly multiple pathways then to God, that God, God has all these options and all these unique opportunities and ways that we can get to him. And you know, here, here's what's happening in our culture right now. Creeds and doctrines are on the out and feelings are on the in. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. Why are creeds and doctrines on the out and more about how it makes me feel on the in? Why is that? Because creeds and doctrines, they, they, they um, isolate you down to a certain way of thinking and everybody has to think that way. And in today's culture, that's not what we want. It's like anti what we want. We just want the feeling. Does it feel good? Is there a lot of energy there? Is the aura right in this environment? And it's our feelings, and the unique thing about feelings is that one person can have a feeling that is totally the other bookend from another individual, and both of them can look at each other and just be like, man, that's good for you. And feelings, and God made feelings in us. But guys, there's things in life, like worshiping God, where you have to anchor yourself somewhere, and it can't just be in feelings, because if you anchor yourselves in feelings, then it's just a matter of, how do I feel that day? Depends on who God is. And that's destructive for your individual life. It's definitely destructive for your spiritual life. It's destructive for eternity. 
creeds and doctrines, although they might be on the out, I'm telling you, they are the anchor for us. And there's this great pressure that's happening, you know, amongst church leaders right now that, you know, all these world religions would just come together and just admit the fact that we're all worshiping the same God with different names. And there's a great pressure on that. And there's this, like, if you oppose that, then you're perceived as being arrogant or bigoted or just, you know, you know, ignorant, or if none of those things, you know, are your title, then maybe you're just intolerant. And so there, there's this push in, in, our, in our world society that can't we just all say we're worshiping the same God and let some of these barriers fall down that divide us? And, you know, can't we just say that? They're just different names, but it's the same God. And you can see that warped kind of a mindset as it's screwing itself into the heart of humanity. It's going to rip out our core if we let it go that way. Um, we've moved a long ways away from the creator God being sacred to his creation being sacred. And all of this stuff I've been talking about is really where the ancient Roman culture was when the book of Romans was written. And here's what it was saying about them in chapter 1, just kind of almost right off the bat. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. That's who we are. We claim to be wise you know, as a country, as a society, as a nation, could it be the wiser that we are becoming, drifting away from God, that we're becoming more of the utter fool, just like the ancient Roman culture was? And instead of worshiping the glorious, you know, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Like, that's not... That's a very deceptive, you know, example. Like, we don't have these idols that look like reptiles and birds and animals. But our idols look radically different. They might actually be harder to identify because the first idol that we have to overcome is self. That's our first idol. That's the hardest one to call an idol, by the way. Like, you didn't wake up this morning, look into the mirror, and go, holy cow, I've become an idol. You know? Like, that's not, that's not what we say. We don't say that, but it's very deceptive to see that. And we get kind of like drawn into it. And all of a sudden, before we know it, we self-implode because self has been at the center instead of Christ. It's easier maybe at times to see that money has become an idol. Another hard one, though, is children. A lot of homes where the kids have become the idols. That's not, that's not God's plan. Kid doesn't lead the family. Mom and dad lead the family out of obedience to God, and we manage the children that God gave us because they don't belong to us. We manage them, and we lead them in the way that God's called us to, not the reverse. Children become the idol, everything falls apart. And then the earth itself, and anything earthy, tends to like, it seems like it's become the idol. So this, this accept all, right, and live however you want to mindset, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, has diluted how we approach God. It's warped the way that we see God and warped the way we come to God. We think somehow that God is going to be more tolerant with us than what he really is going to be. We think that God's not going to be as strict with us as God's really going to believe, going to be. And all of this leads to that one big massive lie. Many paths lead to, the, lead to God's presence. Well, today we're going to talk about that. There are not many paths that lead to God's presence. In fact, Jesus taught us that there's only one way into God's presence, one way. So let's, let's jump off and look at, this one, look at this verse in Matthew chapter 11, or seven, excuse me. It says, Jesus said these words, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, watch these next words, 
and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way, right? Those who are choosing that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Like, let me tell you first what this scripture is not talking about. It's not saying that the way to Christ is so difficult that there's all these hoops that you have to jump through and that finding God and following God is so difficult that only a few find it because Jesus has made it so hard with all of these hoops you have to jump through. No, in fact, that's just the opposite. Jesus is referred to as the good news. He said that his burden is light and his yoke is easy. He's the one who said, look, to follow me, to follow me, is a, there's going to be a great sacrifice, yes. But to follow me, it's easy in the sense of like committing yourself to me and making me your Lord and your leader. Now, the rest of it, following it out, is difficult, right? But to commit yourself to Christ and to get on to the narrow path, he made that quite easy by his own sacrifice. So what is this scripture really saying? It's really driving this point home. There's a serious contemplation of surrender that must be dealt with by all of us. A surrender, meaning that faith in Jesus is the only way. There's a great contemplation of surrender. Can you give up self? Can you give up all the other idols? Can you give up all of your other identities? Can you come to a point where you can concretely say, I surrender myself to Christ. He is the only way. He's the narrow road. He is the narrow gate. Uh, all these other ideas and excuses and you know, concepts are all at, for nothing. I am not following those at all. I'm committing myself here. Jesus is going to be my Lord and my leader. I'm going to go all in, faith in Jesus only. That's what the scripture is really challenging us to. That's why he says the, the road is narrow and it's going to be hard for people to find it because they're unwilling to surrender to commit themselves to Christ only. It's like, I want Christ, but I also want to be in control. It's like, I want Jesus passenger seat. I want the driver's seat. It's got to be just the opposite. Surrender control completely. That's where he's asking us to be. And God has always been this way, by the way. This is not something new in the New Testament, only with Jesus. God's always been a one path God. Go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve, one path. What's the one path God gives them? He says this, look, you can live in the garden, you get everything that I've created, it's all yours, it's beautiful, it's incredible, but here's the one thing, and he takes him to the tree, he points to the tree, and he goes, see this tree? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Here's the one thing, this is the path, don't eat of it. You get everything else, the path, you get everything else, one thing on the path, don't do that. One thing, one thing. Can you imagine living in a world where there was only one thing you didn't have to worry about? Can you imagine that? Like just one thing. And they couldn't get the one thing right. And you and me are still paying for that price today. Because there's a consequence when we choose to say, God, your path is not the one I want to live on. All right, go to the very next generation. Adam and Eve, they've got children, right? Cain and Abel. So that's the very next generation. What does God say to Cain and Abel? He says to them, look, here's the path. You honor me with the first fruits and the best of what you do with your hands. So Cain, you work the ground and you get grains, right? I want you to bring the best and the first fruits, which is the tithe. So tithing didn't start, you know, in the, in the New Testament. Tithing started at the very beginning, by the way. To honor God with our finances and to give him the best and the first 10%, that started all the way back here with these two boys, right? So Cain, bring the best of the grains. 
Abel, bring the best of, of the animals. You know, as the breeding process happens and, and then they're born, you bring, you bring the best and the first to me. You keep the rest and you manage it. Well, Cain thought to himself, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really need to bring the best and the first, right? I can just bring some. And that's exactly what he did. And this is what happened for him. In Genesis 4, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some, not the best, not the first, some of his crops as a gift to the Lord, but he did not accept Cain and his gifts. God rejected it. And this made Cain very mad and even looked dejected. Like, he wasn't accepted. His worship was, it was dropped right there like a hot rock. It was over. All this work that you did was for naught because you didn't do it the way God asked for it to be done, the path. Well, then you jump generations after this to a guy called Moses. Most people would be familiar with the name Moses. You know, um, he is a patriarch uh, of our faith, a great leader. God used him in, in incredible ways. He has uh, two nephews, Nadab and Abihu. Okay? Now, look, Dave and Tiff just had their fourth child, our campus pastors, right? Out of North Platte. They just had their fourth child on Thursday. Can I just publicly say thank you for not naming your kid Nadab or Abihu, all right? I just want to publicly say that. Um, here these, two, these two young guys are like the seminary students of their day, right? They're studying to be in ministry. They're studying to be part of the priesthood. Their dad, Aaron, is the high priest. It's his job to go between God and the people. It's a very dangerous but a very respected job to go between God and the people. And Nadab and Abihu are learning the rules, right? And it's their turn to perform this, you know, priestly, you know, assignment. And they decide they're going to do it their way instead of God's way. And here's what I love about God. Like God had given them very strict and easy to follow, you know, a process. Do it this way. Here's the way that it needs to be done. You, you do it this way. You honor me. You worship me. Well, Nadab and Abihu thought to themselves like, hey, look, we can be careless with this. We're just going to do it our way. As long as in the end it gets done, why can't we do it our way? Maybe you've said words like that. Here's what happened for them. Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they put, coal of, they put coals of fire in their incense burners and they sprinkled the incense over them. In, in this way, they what? They disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than God had commanded them, right? Key point right there. So what happens? So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, right? And then they died there before the Lord. Old Testament, man, you get off the path, it's harsh. New Testament, here's part of, here's part of the, the problem with grace and mercy, is that you can live off of the path your entire life, and then you show up before God and you try to argue the fact that, God, I, I did this for you, and I did that for you, and the Bible actually says this, if to fear something, it says to fear the second death, so look, if, if Jesus doesn't come back for his church in your lifetime, you and me, are, you, we're all going to die. That's our first death. The Bible says, look, that's not the death to really fear. Here's the death to really fear. The second death, when you stand before God and you haven't walked the path he asked you to, and then for the rest of your, your eternity, you're, you spend eternity away from God. That's the death he goes, look, that's the one to fear. 
Right? So maybe we don't have stories today, you know, anymore like Nadab and Abihu. And if we did, I bet you our nation would be radically different. But because of grace and mercy given through Christ, you can live your entire life like the vapor God calls that it is, and you could end up at a point of judgment and then experience the death like Nadab and Abihu did. So my encouragement to all of us in this room is this. Wake up to the path God has us and start walking it so that we can live life to its fullest, worshiping God here. So look, I guarantee you this moment, it freaked everybody out. So Moses in verse three, he comes back and he goes, look, let me give you the reason why these two young men, they died. He said this, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me and I will display my glory before all the people. And then Aaron, the dad who just lost two sons, was silent. He was silenced because of truth. The truth came out. God is holy. He's perfect in every way. Man is sinful. God, holy God, is going to display his holiness through humanity. Then they better, they better be careful to do it God's way because sinful man does not exist in the presence of a holy God. And God basically was laying it out this way. He goes, look, there might be many ways, guys, to do something. Many different ways to light that fire. Many different ways to burn that sacrifice. I got it, but I've commanded you to do it one way. So church, for you and me, here's what we need to remember. Look, not everything is sacred. There's a lot of things you get a lot of options on. But God is sacred. He is sacred. Right? So don't be like these guys. These guys, they approached the right God, but they approached the right God in the wrong way. When you approach the right God in the wrong way, then you're not on the path that leads to life. You're on the broad path that leads to death. That's the lie that we're trying to address here today, is that many paths lead to, you know, lead to the presence of God. That, that's the lie. But here's what God's asked us to do today. Because God still has one path for us today. And he goes, look, if you're going to approach me today, you need to come through Christ and him alone. Acts chapter 4 says it this way. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's only one name under heaven in all the universe by which we can approach God with, and that's the name of Jesus. His name is above every other name. Why? Because he became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price for the sins of humanity once and for all. Here's what Hebrews has to say about him in that capacity. It says that under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, like Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu did, right? Um, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, which is who? Jesus, he offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time, by the way. Then we go on. Then Jesus, he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool underneath his feet. For, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Did you, did you realize that the mission of God is to make you holy like he's holy? And he's doing that through Christ who paid the sacrifice for our sins. So there's two incredible things from this passage that you've got to take away from it. First off, the sacrifice that Jesus paid for our sins is good for all time. 
It means it was good for our grandparents. It's good for us today. It's going to be good for our children and our great-great-grandchildren to come. It, it will, the price that Jesus paid for the sins of humanity, it, it just keeps paying generation after generation after generation after generation, and it never ends. That's the first thing, and that's good news, by the way. That's what allows us to say, we're going to worship you, Jesus. We're going to follow you. You are our Savior because you paid a price that forever will be paying back covering the sins of humanity. Secondly, though, is that Jesus became the mediator. And that's an important word. He became the mediator between God and humanity. He became the go-between between us and a holy God. Holy God, that when you worshiped him wrongly, guys died in the midst of that. Jesus became the go-between so that sinful man can worship holy God and not be destroyed in the process. I want you to think about how powerful a mediator is for a minute with me, okay? Um, Let's say that you, ordinary citizen of the United States, whether you served in the military or you didn't, you wanted to have an audience with the president. How are you going to get that audience? Is she going to call him up? You gonna tweet him? <laughs> hey dude, really like to have a couple minutes with you. I'll buy coffee. You gonna get a response back on that one? No, it's not gonna happen. How would you actually pull it off though? Because sometimes people pull it off. They only pull it off when they know somebody who's on the what? The inside. You gotta know somebody on the inside to arrange that meeting. Meaning, you need a mediator, a go-between, somebody that knows the president and knows you and can set that meeting up for you. Okay, for a moment, can we just cheapen the title of God down to the word president? Because it sounds all so important, you know, in the scope of the United States or in other countries, but it's really a cheapened down word for God, just for a second. God is the president of the universe. If you need a mediator to meet with the president of the United States, you definitely need a mediator to meet with the president of the universe. And his name is Jesus. You already have him. And with that one simple example, I would argue the point before you today that this is the reason why there are not multiple paths to God. This is the real crux of the reason why there's only one path that leads to God, and that's because only Jesus is uniquely qualified to be your mediator, the go-between between you and God. Only Jesus can give us the perfection needed to stand before God with an incredible confidence. Only Jesus can make you perfect in that capacity. Otherwise, we'd be destroyed. And that's why Jesus is able to say these words about himself in John chapter 14. When he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He's able to say that because he's the only uniquely qualified one who's ever been who can be the mediator. He paid the price of of our sins on the cross because he lived a perfect life. And that way he paid it once and for all. I mean, God's holy, guys in every way, and we're sinful in every way. And if we tried to come to God without Christ, the mediator, you'd be destroyed. Like like if you tried to go, you know, land on on the sun. If you try to go land on the surface of the sun, what's gonna happen to you? Poof, right, someone said poof, I like that, that's good. It's just kind of the mental picture I wanna have right now, poof. I'm just like, you would just be burnt into a crisp, into like way, way worse than Nadab had in his life, right? 
I mean, it would just be a dust, particles all over the place. That's what would happen. Only Jesus can present you before the holiness of God without you being destroyed because of your sin. That's what makes him the mediator, which is one of my most favorite verses. In the book of Jude, it has one chapter. Verse 24 says this about Jesus. It says, now all glory to God, who's able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without what? One single fault, and it's like you landed on the surface of the sun in the presence of a holy God. Does that sound a bit intimidating? It ought to, because there's only one thing that you really need to fear in this world, and that's the second death where you stand before God and he evaluates whether you walked on the narrow path or you walked on the, on the broad path. Today, what I'm trying to do is very simply encourage you and inspire you. There's a narrow path, right? It's through Jesus only, okay? And let's all get on that and let's run it. Here at, uh, here at New Life, we believe, um, we believe that it's, we're able to communicate your spiritual journey in a very simple process. So some people have a hard time with it, so I'm going to draw it. That's it, right there. It's a circle. It's not very hard. Outside the circle is what we just simply refer to as man's world. It's where we lived before we knew Jesus. Inside the circle is God's kingdom. And so we live our sinful life doing what we want to do, and then we start contemplating, could there be more to life? Right? We start asking the question, is this all it is? Is there, who is God? Like, what does it mean uh, you know, to have a creator. Who is Jesus? And we start asking these questions and eventually we go, you know what? I no longer want to be the leader of self. I want God to be my leader. So how do I get from man's world to God's kingdom? I have to, I have to cross the border. There's a border crossing. It's got to take place. And that border crossing is Jesus. He's the, he's the border patrol, if you can put it that way. Right now, I remember, I remember back like when I was a youth pastor, we took uh, 50, 60, something like that. It was way too many teens out of the country with too few of leaders. And we ended up landing in Budapest, Hungary, hopped on these two buses that basically, you know, kind of ran. And we went into Romania. We did all this ministry. It was awesome. It was incredible. We get ready to leave. We get back to the border. And the Romanian uh, guys at the border aren't going to let our buses out. And the reason why they aren't going to let our buses out is because it's in the middle of the day and the headlights are not bright enough and there's not enough tread on the tires. So here's what I find out. It's really not about those things. They just want some cash. So I get cash. I have no idea how much it is, right? I just know it's probably in the teens in American dollars, but it was a stack of cash, right? Not American dollars. It was their money, whatever that was called at that time. And it was a lot, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in their currency. And I walk out and I just give the money to them and then they wave us through. And we bribed our way out of Romania so that some of your kids could come back home. <laughs> now, with the kind of technology we have now, I probably, if I was at that situation, maybe just send a text, who wants their kid back? And then they'll be like, it's not worth it. <laughs> right? But I had to make all the decisions then. So I brought them all back. All right? Brought them all back. You can bribe your way out of Romania, but you're not going to ever bribe your way into God's kingdom. You can't get enough money. You can't get a laundry list that is of things that you've done that's good enough. You, you just can't come up with enough. 
You'll never have a stack of cash big enough and whatever that form looks like that you'll be able to present to God and say, hey, look, I, I need to be able to cross this border and I need to be able to come into your kingdom. I mean, look, God, I've done all these things all these ways. It, it won't work that way. Why? Because there's only one way. So here's the good news. When you do try to cross that border and you put your faith in Christ, you're going to have a representative at the border that's going, welcome home. And today, that can happen for you. If you're outside a relationship with God, you can come into his presence by committing yourself to him. But there are multiple ways that the enemy's trying to warp our minds to think that there are these, all these different approaches that you can enter God's presence with. And you can't do it. You can't do it with good works. You can't do it by being better than the person sitting down the row from you. You can't do it with perfect church attendance. You can't buy your way, you know, um, paying for your sins in purgatory. You can't pay for your sins in hell until you've built up the equity enough to buy your way out of hell. And you can't, you, can't, uh, you know, buy your way through the purity that, you know, is believed in through um, the reincarnation process. Any of those ways, all of those ways are outside. That's the, well, that's the wide road that leads to destruction. There's only one narrow road. Jesus is the only only path into God's presence, period, or exclamation mark. So what do we do today? Today, lay down the lies that you're believing. Lay them down. Let go of them. There's no other way to please God other than to surrender your life to Jesus. And that's good news, by the way. So lay those down and surrender to him. Surrender. Give up control to him, like we talked earlier. If you have already done that, here's my recommendation. Get close to Jesus. Get close to him. He was the gate that allowed you out of man's world into God's kingdom. Stay close to Jesus, right? If there's anything in your life that's separating you from Christ, lay it down before him today. And let's all today, let's worship Jesus with an incredible passion. He is the border agent that allowed us to get out of man's world, out of death and destruction, into God's kingdom where there's life forevermore. Yes, this world might be difficult following Christ. I get that. But there is a life with God for eternity that only happens because you followed the narrow path. Get on the narrow path, whatever it takes. Get on the narrow path and start following God. Don't wait for tomorrow. And let's worship God with passion starting right now. Because Jesus, he paid the ultimate price. He paid the ultimate price so that we can worship a holy God. Why don't you stand with me and let's come before God through Christ. So Father, we come to you in Jesus' name today. What a joy it is to be able to say those words. But without, without Christ and sending of your son and loving this world enough that you sent your son to pay that price, we would not have a mediator to even come to you. We'd be separated from you, living like Aaron and Moses had to, where only one man could come to you one time a year. Lord, how distant we would feel from you, how lost we would be. But today, because of Christ, we're found, and we're in right relationship with you. And Lord, today, there are those who are far from you. I pray that they surrender and recognize today there's only one way. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to your presence, God, and that's through Jesus. It's simple. It's good. I pray for the church today. We get so easily entangled in our own ideas, and we drift back to works. We drift back to pleasing God with the things we can do just with our hands instead of the submitting of our heart to him. Bring us back to center again, God. Bring us back. Remind us 
only saved by grace through Christ. So may we know, may we know Jesus and him crucified and that only. May we know that better than we know anything else today. May we know the wonder of the cross. May we know the wonder of the Savior. May we know that today. May we be in awe again of the sacrifice of Christ so that we can come and worship a holy God. Thank you for that, Lord. Now lead us and guide us by your spirit. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.